the race he did that really got me excited about racing was Molokai to Oahu. So like basically the downwind racing where you're not so much paddling in flat water, but you're more or less, you're, you're surfing downwind. So you, you've got to paddle obviously, but you're doing more surfing than paddling. That, that's what really got me excited about stand-up paddle racing, I guess. And That's James Casey, world-class ocean athlete. And you're listening to this Ocean Life podcast with me, Josh Peterson. Today, we hear the stories of professional athlete and man of the water, James Casey, who takes us down his path from a young Grom taking his beatings in Hawaiian surf to the dominant stand-up paddleboarder that he is today, winning the infamous Molokai to Oahu paddle race on his SUP in 2019. James's stories and perspectives on his love for coaching and foiling, traveling the world, running camps in Thailand and the Maldives, and commitment to family are fun and inspirational. I was lucky enough to have time with James before he took off from his home in Sydney to fly out for the Red Bull Heavy Water event in San Francisco. In October of 2019, it's the fall season here where I am, and a couple months since, you had a pretty rad victory at Molokai Tuahu. Finished first place SUP Unlimited, first place overall SUP at four minutes, three seconds. That's the second best time ever, man. So first, congratulations on that one to you, mate. Yeah, thanks so much. That's been a long-term goal of mine. So yeah, I was glad to stick that one off for sure. It was a, it was a good one, and to do it for dad was you know, super, super sweet. So rad. So take us through your race this year and tell us how it went. Yeah, I guess starting where it all began, like five years ago or six years ago, probably now I started paddling race boards. And uh, uh, before that, my dad did a little bit of paddling too. And then he influenced me to do stand up, but I never was interested in the racing. And I got into the surfing, stand up surfing side of things. And then probably about you know, three years later, I got into the racing and dad had sort of Hung up a paddle by then, went for a paddle when it was super windy or big surf. But um, yeah, he definitely influenced me to start paddling. And the race he did that really got me excited about racing was um, Molokai to Oahu. So, like basically the downwind racing where you're not so much paddling in flat water, but you're more or less you're, you're surfing downwind. So, you, you've got to paddle, obviously, but you're doing more surfing than paddling. And that, that's what really got me excited in uh, about stand-up paddle racing i guess and you know, luckily enough my my dad's got a house over in maui so we were lucky to you know grow up on or not grow up but spend a lot of our time over there and maluko run is literally maluko bay is the closest beach from where we where our place is in maui so it's like we didn't realize how lucky we were <laughs> like we, were, we kited a lot uh-huh. before but yeah we got into got into you know the the downwind sort of side of things and yeah, managed to put a lot of hours in on the Maliko run when we went over there in July as sort of a family holiday and again in um, winter, your winter, so, you know, January we used to go over as well and I guess it was super lucky that that sort of was there and Dad's place was so close. When I started paddling, my whole goal was to get good at downwind, downwind paddling and eventually as like a pipe dream, like win Molokai to Oahu. Yeah, so my first sort of downwind racing, you know, I got beaten by chicks, I got beaten by you know, 50-year-olds and, you know, all these cells, you know, I, I didn't start and all of a sudden be good at it. I was, I didn't understand it, you know, and basically I thought, you know, being a young, strong kid, I was like, okay, I'm just going to paddle as hard as I can. And that's almost the exactly wrong thing you should be doing, that you got to think about reading the ocean and sort of flowing with it. And like being a surfer, I thought, oh, well, I can stand up paddle, I can surf, I should be able to downwind paddle because it's just surfing downwind. But it's so wrong. I was so wrong. <laughs> I think three years before I really figured out how to downwind properly. And there were a few light bulb moments paddling with guys like Travis Grant, Matt Nottage, um, local guy Dave Kassane. And they didn't give away a lot of information to me, but just little things. Like I remember Travis said to me once, think about surfing behind the bump rather than try and go up and over it all the time. <laughs> yep. I was the bumps pretty well, but I couldn't. I'd always basically make mistakes. You run into the bump in front of you and you stop. I remember it was before Olakai, probably 2015 or 2014. Um, and he said that to me and I'm like, ah, like a little light bulb moment. And, and I had my best Olakai race, you know, today. And then the following July, I paddled a lot with Matt Nottich, who's a very good downwind paddler. He spent a lot of time in an outrigger canoe. And uh, he, we just literally did Malika runs all July leading up to Molokai. 
And that was my first, that was the first year I did Molokai. He beat me in Maui to Molokai, and then I beat him in Molokai to Oahu. So I was a little bit stronger paddler. He was a bit better in the bumps. But um, we learned a lot, of, a lot off each other that year, just basically paddling the Maliko run. And just basically, we'd be surfing the exact same bump. He'd go right, I'd go left. We'd come back, we'd be right next to each other again. <laughs> cool. Follow me. And it was just, you know, epic. Just super fun bumps. And it was a really good summer. And then I guess, you know, I got fifth that year in Molokai. That was, that was my second year. Um, I got fourth the following year, fourth last year as well. So I was, you know, I was in the mix, but I um, had never had a podium. Last year, I got my first podium finish behind Travis Grant and Connor Baxter, which was, you know, that's sharing a podium with those two guys is, is basically like winning. You know, they're the, oh, yeah. they're the top, top dogs really in downwind paddling in Hawaii anyway. So I was... Yeah, that was I was I considered that to be a really good result, and I kind of joked with a few people afterwards. I'm like, well, you know, I've been five five years pat. Uh, next year's going to be my fifth year. I've come fifth once, fourth twice, third once, and I guess now I guess I can skip second and go to first now. <laughs> yeah, go right to first. <laughs> I guess it's my turn. You know, I've done five years coming up. Maybe I'll do second again, then I'll go to first the year after. Yeah, no pressure, kind of thing. <laughs> and then you know, in the lead up, you know. There's always Connor and Travis are just such freaks. And then there's Michael Booth as well, who's not so much a freak in the bumps, but he's just a freak in every sort of aspect of paddling, you know, whether, yeah. it, be surfing or whether it be flat water, or whether it be downwind. A lot of people underestimate how good he is downwind. So that was, that was always going to be a, a tough one. With, with, you know, I was thinking I had those three people to race. And then I went to Maui to Molokai sort of a, a month out from, the, from Molokai. And I raced Connor and Travis. Basically, it was an awesome race between – I led for, I think, probably 70% of it. I sort of took off and tried to put a bit of a gap on them because Connor always seems to run away with it at the end. So I tried to put a bit of pressure on Connor. And basically, at probably 10Ks to go or 12 kilometers to go, eight miles, I was out front by probably a good quarter mile probably and behind – me was Travis and behind him was Connor, sort of a similar sort of quarter mile apart. And there was a boat, one of the friends of mine, Bozo, Uncle Bozo, who lives over on Mount Molokai. He goes to me, dude, you're paddling really good, but your line sucks. You've got to go, you got to go closer to the island. You've got to go closer to Molokai. So <laughs> I was taking everyone off course. And oh, they're all following you. Yeah. It was the first year that Connor didn't have his dad escorting him. His dad was just like a, a escort, a sort of a safety boat instead of being his personal escort. So <laughs> they're all me. Connor knew which way he should have been going. Travis, I think, usually just follows Connor, so he was just following me. And we sort of, eventually they went inside me and caught up and I went to them and we're all together. And there was a moment where it was basically Connor, Travis and I all together. And then Connor and I sort of got a few bumps and sort of took off away from Trav. And then so we, we thought, okay, it's a race between Connor and I. It's, you know, this one-on-one now. So we just, I was like, okay, this is cool. I haven't been in this situation before. And so with me and Connor battling, battling away, and then you look, then we had a look probably two kilometers later, looked way on the inside, and Travis has taken a complete, like, super north line and going way up inside, like, almost inside the reef at Molokai, and we look, no way, he can't be overtaking us there. Oh. So we still race, and we, as we get closer and closer, we sort of realize that Travis has gotten us, and Connor and I race back and forth. I managed to get a little bump in front of him, he gets one in front of me, and I got in front of him, and basically, as we sort of get closer and closer, we realize Travis has got us. And we're racing for second. And um, I managed to pip Connor, but Travis got us. But um, that, was, <laughs> that was a massive confidence booster for me because I felt like Connor and I had dropped Travis. But Travis, yeah, I didn't say he got lucky. He's, just, he's such a smart paddler, Travis. You know, he would have thought, okay, well, I can't keep with him right now. What can I do differently? Well, I know yeah. we're a lot further in. He paddled further in. The old fox. He's, you know, it's he's, right. he's smart. So, you know, congrats to Travis. But I was just stoked that, it was only a different line that allowed him to beat us. And I beat Connor, so I sort of felt like even though I got second that race, I took it as a massive confidence boost heading into Molokai. In the end, you know, a couple of weeks out from Molokai, Travis announces that he's, heard, he's cracked a rib and he's not going to be able to race. Meanwhile, Connor's racing in the Pan American Games and not doing Molokai for like the first year in like eight years. So basically, all the pressure that <laughs> on Travis, favoritism-wise, was shifted to me. Because oh, man. I came third last year. Connor and Travis are out. So, you know, I guess I'm the next in line, so to speak. Oh, uh, wow. 
And then there's Boothy, who people write off as a flatwater paddler, which is so incorrect. He's such a strong paddler, and he's, he lives in Perth, Western Australia, which is a super windy part of the world. He paddles a lot downwind. So um, I had all this going on, and in, in the background, my, my dad was diagnosed with a, with a brain tumour back in mm. probably April or, or, no, it was probably end of February or March. It was around uh. that time, which was, you know, super heavy. So my dad, super active guy, got me into stand-up paddling. And now he can, well, at the time, in sort of April, May, June, when I was heading, and July, when I was heading over to Molokai, uh, for Molokai to Oahu, he, could, he, he, was, he was only walking with a frame. His, his oh, vision, man. like, basically he can't see. He's really unstable. He couldn't get around the house. He had to, like, ring a bell to get my stepmom to take him to the bathroom. Like, it was just really, hmm. really confronting, I guess, and... Sad because you know he had he had the brain operate they couldn't operate on it because it's by the brainstem right. so they had radiation and um, now he's currently doing chemotherapy and at the time he was in a he was really just just aged a lot you know he was frail yeah. it just seemed like it wasn't looking so good so I I remember before I left I said Dad I'm gonna I'm gonna win this one for you and you know oh both, yeah I don't know how to get out and. And then before I said that, I, I spoke to a mate of mine, um, Brad Gall, who's helped me a lot with everything to do with Molokai. Helped me with all that. And I said to him, talking about, you know, the upcoming sort of Molokai to IRS. This was like three or four months out. And I said to him, mate, would you be able to help me, you know, get out in the channel and sort of practice in the bumps? And just, you know, when I come over, just help me out a little bit testing boards. And he's like, yeah, of course, of course. You know, so I told you, my, Brad, my dad's got a brain tumor. So, you know, I, he was on my boat last year and I really want to have a good showing. And, you know, mm-hmm. I want for him and he was you know just really supportive and he helped me out a lot and that was the first time I'd verbalized it to, to, to Brad and it was yeah it was really nice that that I could have that I did in the end but um the the story wasn't as easy as I guess it would have seemed with Travis pulling out um you know <laughs> I was expecting all right now Jimmy's gonna win now because he's you know he's had a his only booth he was never done the channel before and Kenny who's had a few years off the channel and um, hasn't had that good a result out there. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But those guys, even if like Travis and Connor were still in the race, man, they still would have had to paddle hard. I mean, your time of four Oh three was dude, that's the second best ever. I mean, they would have still been, you, you would have been right. I mean, there would have been a pretty good battle. Those guys would have had to work pretty hard to get you on that day. <laughs> you know, I, 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 that's what I like to think too. Like, but you know, there's always going to be even, even to me in my mind, like you want to beat the best out there and there's no doubt. I think Boothie will win a Molokai to Oahu one day. Yeah. Um, but Travis, at the at the moment, I think is the king of that sort of ocean paddling. But in saying that, I don't think Molokai Molokai to Oahu is more than just a one day race. It's right. the race starts like six months out, probably yep. longer. Than, and little things like doing a six man race and cracking your ribs, or you know, not being sick in the lead up, and and all that sort of stuff. Like that all counts in your lead up, I believe. And if you're not, you know, thinking about or fully committed to Molokai, it's not going to, it's not going to allow you to win it, I guess. And I think maybe Travis didn't have yep. it fully prioritized and, you know, obviously cracking his rib and he, he, you know, in saying that he did paddle, he was still paddling at that time. He wasn't like unable to paddle, but he wasn't at a, he wasn't at a point where he thought he could have won. Right. Uh, kind of a bit of a compliment to myself and Boothy in a way, because if he, he respected us, not to paddle injured and still think he could beat us. Right. Yeah. And you said it well. I mean, that race is a commitment six months out. You know, that's the, like you said, it starts six months in advance and it's not a, like six, five hours or four hours of paddling the channel. It's like you said, months of preparation, both physical and mental. And so for you, James, after having done M2O and other long distance paddles and hardcore racing and stuff and just, you know, your own endurance training, how have all those years? How did they prepare you to have the success you did this year, both mentally and physically? You know, the main thing is being comfortable on race day and, I guess, not being panicked about it all. The first time you do Molokai, I guess the reason they say, you know, like people that have never done it before, the reason they're unlikely to win is because the organisation, the logistics and, and all that sort of stuff is just so, so yeah. dumb. You know, it really is. To, to get to the start line over at Kalua Koi, with your board, your escort boat, and everything ready to go is, oh, it's a nightmare. Like even <laughs> it is, you know, and it's still 
it's still like, well, I wonder if, you know, how am I going to get my board over and how am I going to, is my boat coming and um, how am I going to get all my clothes onto the boat the morning of the race? And, and, you know, the list goes on. It's just, it's just one of those races. <laughs> you know, it's not just about the, the, the out on the water in the channel. As, and on top of that is the equipment, you know, so yeah. this just kind of the best prepared I've ever been equipment wise. I had a, a good board for the wind, windy conditions, like big rough conditions, and I had a good board for if it was flat as well. So I was super confident going over, no matter what, you know, the forecast is one thing, but no matter what the morning threw at us, that I was ready and I was confident that my equipment was going to be the best out there. So, nice. um, so working with Marcus Tardrew and Sonova Surfboards, that was, you know, that was something that we tested a lot of boards in the last three years, and I was confident that I had the best three that I've ever, that I've ever paddled there at the start line. Nice. You know, that in itself, even if they're not the best boards, mentally thinking that, okay, I've got the best boards, I've got, a, I've got an unfair advantage as soon as I j- jump on, as soon as the gun goes off. Yeah. That's a feeling to have, you know. Yeah. It's comfort. Yeah, so I can't thank Marcus and Sonova enough for supporting me in all of the R&D we did. And it was really st- I was really stoked that Marcus was actually, he, was, um, he, he raced on the foil this year and, finished and I got to see him after the race. So, did you win? I'm like, oh, Matt, yeah, I won it. He's like, you, he was just, it was such a huge uh, moment. You know, we, we spent so much time, so many hours and paddles together. And yeah, so it was really nice. Yeah, that's cool, man. So first place M2O, I mean, that's like legendary. I mean, like you said, you've, you, you committed to your dad to do it for him. You did it. And just, you know, you've been angling for that as a bucket list item for many years and you did it. So that, that's so just amazing, you know, but then tied to the foiling too, and this question probably won't surprise you and i'm sure you've gotten it from other people is because you're you're strong you're a strong and early adopter of foiling as well like we're talking about scp but man you have a another sort of side of your ocean you know life and there's a bunch of other ones too but around foiling and so what about foiling m2o is this on your radar maybe absolutely it's been um it's been on my radar since they first announced it and, and originally they actually said that they wanted to do it two separate days which i was like oh, oh yeah yeah, that's the dream. That's that like, that's sick. You know, so we could do, you know, Molokai stand up and prone one day and then Molokai prone like a week later. And that's yeah. obviously logistically it's a nightmare for them like to run two events once. Oh, yeah. But the fact that with a foil board you can fly in with it, like it's a lot easier. Yep. You know, in terms of the, the athletes, in terms of the organization, I'm sure it's still for the event, it's still painful, but um. <laughs> They've, they've promised that sort of two, the last two years and as it's come closer, they've said, oh, no, sorry, we have to do it one, just all on the same day. Yep. And every time I speak to them after the race, like, we're going to have separate, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, they, so they want to, but it's a matter of whether it's, I guess, viable and, and an option. I think if it was still, you know, as it, as it has been the last two years, I think I'd still do, to, do stand-up just because I've worked so hard to get where I'm at. Right. And to... to Go to foiling, which at the moment it's a complete arms race. Like it's right. the, it's it's not who's the there's sort of a few things going on. One, you've got to have the skills to be able to read the bumps, and that's obvious that you know Kai knows how to read the bumps. Right. Two is equipment. So Jeffrey beat Kai by like 15 minutes to China Wall this year, but because Kai could pump his foil upwind, he beat Jeffrey by like five minutes. Yeah, so, man, crazy. You know, what Kai did this year was basically skill. He was on a slower foil, so we should have lost. But the fact that Jeffrey came down and couldn't get back up on his foil shows two things: bit of inexperience from Jeffrey because he's you know he's only young. Um, I think he was he seventeen. Yeah, he's young. Yeah, and and two his foil was obviously probably a tiny bit too small because that last bit of the race is still a part of the race. Right. So the foil that could keep going. He was a lot mm. quicker in the channel where the bumps were good. But that last, you know, it's, I think it's two kilometers, like a mile and a bit from China Wall into the finish. Right. That part of the race that I guess he forgot about. And watching Kai come in, um, the, way he, the way he navigated the reef and the rocks and, and the waves, he'd done, a bit, he, he'd, been, he'd done that before. That wasn't, oh, yeah. the first, wasn't the first time he'd foiled in at uh, China Wall. <laughs> yeah, that's an epic finish. That our epic story is to have him come in to China Wall at Portlock Point there, 15 minutes-ish behind, and then be able to move ahead by five at the finish line, you know. And I agree with you, and I'm curious to get your perspective too. 
of like yeah. the technology advancements, you know, but, but, but start if you will, like take us back to the start of your own foiling days. You know, I'm curious, like how you got into it originally. Yes. I was actually hanging with the Spencer boys over on Maui for a stand up paddle race at Who Keeper. And I was getting a bit of training in and getting ready for the race and staying at um, the Spencer's, uh, Henry Spencer's place. Um, Jeffrey and Finn hanging with them a lot and they just got into foiling and they said, Oh, Jimmy, you got to try this. I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, where do I get one? He's like, oh, well, you can't borrow ours. But talk to Alex Aguera. He's, he's developed them. This was like a couple months after. Um, it was October of the, the, the year that Kai first brought out that, um, the video of him foiling downwind on the, yep. on the race board. And he, he was using a gopher back then. So he said, oh, I'll speak to Alex Aguera, the guy who, I guess, came up with the founder of GoFoil. And he might be able to, he might have a, like a foil that he could lend you and sure enough he did so one of my mates from brazil um vinnie and i we we borrowed this stand-up paddle board with a foil for like a week before the race so we'd go training in the morning and then go foiling the rest of the day basically and just sort of we were looking back at it was so dangerous what we were trying to do we went to like <laughs> little reef breaks that basically had too much energy for learning to foil and oh yeah yeah just ate shit for like the whole week but by yeah. the end Managed to get a couple of good glides, and we we had the bug big time. We um uh, after the race, and you know we started we hung around, we hung to the fall for a little bit longer. And as we went home, like, Alex, where do we get one of these? And he goes, oh well, um I have to. This is my one, so I've got to hold on to this. But you can order one, and he gave us a bit of a discount and said, yeah. So he he sent it, sent one from the factory to Sydney, and that entire summer, I think I foiled every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's so addictive. Yeah, it's so addictive, and. You know, start on the stand-up, which I think if someone knows how to stand-up paddle, that's the best way to learn to foil. Yeah. On the paddleboard because you sort of get into the wave earlier and you miss the takeoff. And then I guess sort of three months, so probably the start of like January, February, I got a prone, I got my hands on a prone board and learned to sort of taught myself to prone foil. And that was like learning all over again. You know, oh, you yeah. take the same spots I was foiling on the stand-up were just, was just like, a death trap on the prone board because <laughs> getting in after the takeoff instead of before the takeoff, just basically, I, I'm sure I was concussed plenty of times just from taking <laughs> off going over the handlebars and, you know, trap dooring and, and all this. And it was just, it was terrifying, but, you know, I managed to get out, like learn injury free and the rest is history. You know, Alex started releasing a few other models, model wings. And I asked if I could buy one. He's like, Oh no, you, you, you've done a good job promoting it. I'll, um, happy to sponsor you sort of hundred percent and we'll, you know, we can work on the gear together. And so that's sort of where we're at now and got into the downwind side of things. And yeah, it's, it's been a really fun journey. Yeah. Now that's cool, man. So foil surfing, you know, waves versus downwind, uh, you know, foiling, do you have a preference? You know, like I think I, I say a lot of people ask me like similar things. I love doing it all because it's all a different challenge. And if, yeah. if I can only do one for the rest of my life, I'd probably get bored of it all, you know, right. But, able to mix it up and you know surf in the morning and downwind in the afternoon and downwind foil one day and downwind a 14 footer the next day downwind and unlimited the day after i just love mixing it up and a lot of people you know when you first learn to foil you're addicted addicted to the just foiling just foiling just foiling i think for you know three and a half months it was foil didn't touch a stand-up race board or you know stand-up surfboard just wanted to foil but after that i sort of realized okay well this is fun but it kind of gets a little stale so i got into my stand-up surfing, got back on my shortboard, got on my race board. And, and now I try to do something different every session. So if I surfed mm. yesterday, today I want to, you know, I want to take the race board out or I want to, I want to foil surf or I want to stand up foil surf or I want to stand up surf and, and having that variety and learning, you know, being able to mix it up all the time is I really enjoy. And it's just the variety is the spice of life, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. I love that because it because I I have a, a similar problem. It's not a problem, but it's a it's a good problem to have, which is you have a lot of interest, you have a lot of gear, and sometimes like I did, I went through a kind of a similar cycle of just kind of obsessing on the foil for almost last all last winter here in Santa Cruz. And there's tons of waves and surf, but I uh, prone surf, but I just kind of foiled the whole time, and it was great. But then after I came out of that. I just realized I was like, oh man, look at all the dust on my surfboards, and oh, look at my, you know, this my other my SCP foil, and so trying to mix it up, you know, can be can be challenging, you know. But 
You you also though run foil camps. I've seen some really cool things where you basically take people out to Thailand and you train them to either folks either want to learn how to foil or people who already know how to foil and help them get better. So, so talk about that, man. How when you started that and what that what the camps are like? Yeah, so um, that's all with Sonova Surf was my I guess my main board sponsor and. They've, they've just actually moved factories from basically back just outside of Bangkok to now about two hours out of Phuket. And there's basically they moved from the city to like a little coastal village with, you know, not epic waves, but waves that break fairly consistently and off-point breaks that are just like foil heaven. And the first time they moved there, I was like, I was probably like 18 months into foiling and I said, Tino, we've got we've to run camps here. This is epic. Like you couldn't run a surf camp here. You might be able to you might be able to run a kite surfing camp here, but you could hundred percent you could hundred percent run a foiling camp here. The waves there's a beach break and then basically a reef where there's rights and lefts and a frames and all these waves where you know on the average day it's probably too small to surf. Maybe if you longboard or if you're on this, like a big stand up paddleboard, but with a foil board it's oh, just yeah. a slice of heaven. Wow, it's amazing! And uh, basically it was we we talked about it back and forth and. You know, he organized stuff with a hotel and, you know, off-season and, you know, sort of found the right dates. And then this year, finally, we got it across the line. And only with, like, three three weeks before the high season began. So we needed to – we wanted to announce it just because we had finally got everything everything sorted. But we only had three weeks to get, you know, people to come to the camp, which is pretty short notice for a lot of people. Um, but we managed to get two, two, um, two guys to come along and, you know, it's the start of – something big i hope because we've got um you know a lot planned for next year just that just we were just going through dates the other day but basically between april and october we're looking at running camps as often as we can there and you know go falls sent a bunch of foils there and you know sonova's got plenty of boards they've worked on them yeah now i'm pumped to get that going we sort of just basically got it off the ground and now we're in the high season over there but come april it's the low season in thailand so the weather basically the high season has no surf. The low season has waves. So yeah. basically, that's why that's why we're aiming for that sort of part of the year. And yeah, I, I can't wait to do that more. And yeah, this first one was mainly a sort of learn to foil camp. There are two guys, um, Andrew and Antoine. And um, Andrew had done a bit of foiling on his stand up, but but fairly new. And Antoine had basically never foiled before. So we got him behind the boat and got him out at the reef breaks and the beach breaks. And yeah, they learnt so much and going through video footage and, you know, one-on-one sessions and, you know, just, you know, talking about where to sit in the break, what gear to be using, being able to switch different boards, all the different foils, you know, for a week straight, it was, you know, they learned so much and, you know, it was, it was a great experience for, for me. Yeah. And for- yeah, that's really cool because foiling is one of those things, man. It's not like you, there's just not a lot of people doing it yet. And maybe there never will be, but I, I'm guessing it's going to, the adoption will continue to grow. But for folks who've been doing it for the last, two three years ish you know like here in santa cruz it's like you know there's been surf people serving here forever but very few foil people so when you grab a foil board and you go out there's really a nobody to really watch to like pattern oh what's that guy doing how's he taking off where's he standing you might have somebody and then you'd be even luckier if it's like a friend of yours or a mate who's like been doing it for a while who can coach you up. Can I, and usually, and like probably like what you did was like you just get ejected, ejected for, and you just get your ass kicked. And then you've kind of figured it out over time. But the benefit of a camp is like showing up and like having somebody take you through, hey, your leg should be wider or look for this wave or, and then taking the video. I can see just people getting so stoked and learning to do it better so much quicker. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I'm so jealous of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I started the foil, no one even towed behind a boat or a jet ski or anything. Yeah, I know. Like, just the little waves and like, <laughs> maybe just good luck. Hopefully it's not too big a wave. <laughs> yeah. You know? Oh man, and just getting pitched, man. But I saw a really cool clip on Instagram of you foiling kind of in my in my backyard here. You know, San Francisco's near me, about an hour away in Santa Cruz, and you were jumping out at Fort Point under the Golden Gate Bridge, and uh, that was a really neat video. And your bright orange wetsuit with the red uh, bridge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one thing too, some of the guys here that I, I foil with a little bit, they they go up there. 
uh, to the San Francisco Bay, and you, maybe you guys do this too. Uh, the big passenger ferries, the big like 80, 100 foot, 100 bigger boats are motoring, and they'll just whip in and tow into these big wakes and basically just ride the wake and then pump, pump, pump to the next wake behind this thing for like 10, 15 minutes. It's freaking cool. Yeah, we here in Sydney, we don't really have anything like that. There's, you know, there's the harbor where there's a bunch of ferries, but they kind of go a little bit. Well, you know, you know that jet skis in the harbour to start with, and it's just it's just a little bit uh, too big a city, yeah. I guess, than that. Bit too busy a harbour. Yeah, there's I know in Hood River, the bunch of guys fall behind the stern wheeler and right. yeah, things like that. So it's yeah, uh, it sounds like a lot of fun. And you know, I've done a bit of you know towing, teaching a few friends behind a boat, and even just surfing the wake of your own boat's epic. Yeah, it is, man. It's 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 so rad. I could sit and talk about foiling all day long. <laughs> I'm not even that good at it, but it just feels so fun, you know. But uh, so let's shift, shift over and talk about surfing. And you know, you mentioned you know prone surfing is a big a part of your past, and you you picked up the SUP surfing as well. But you know, there's some great shots of you just you know, ripping waves in the SUP board, and you've had success competing. You took second at the Sunset Pro. Um, back in 2016. So I don't know, talk about where you are these days with your sub surfing. With the APP World Tour sort of coming and going, um, I guess I've been doing more of the racing of late. But with Barbados coming up, I'm, I'm all fired up for that. And you know, I would never miss a sunset comp because that's just like probably one of my favorite waves and be able to surf it with three other guys out is like, yeah. It's, you know, you'd be crazy not to go in a wave like that. And especially the waves we got, uh, I think it was three years ago. You know, it's just you, you got to go. You got to go, and you you know, you, you never regret going over there for that. But um, Barbados is going to be exciting, and um, depending on how I go there, I'll see if I go to the Canaries for the final event. But you know, in other otherwise, I've been doing lots of sub surfing at home and competing in our you know state titles and and local competitions, and actually have the Australian titles this weekend. Um, I'm hoping Red Bull and Aussie titles don't clash. There's, oh. there's, Go event. They're sort of they're looking like we might run this Friday, and that would be the Saturday over here in Australia. Um, and the surfing looks like it's going to start on the Monday, so I might miss the racing for Aussie titles. Oh man! But I wouldn't miss the the surfing if if it all ran. <laughs> so talk about like your quiver these days, you know, because you know competing so much, and then you're talking about local stuff, and then also Sunset Beach, and if you're lucky, everybody's lucky. There'll be some juice, you know, and there'll be some 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 big ones coming through Sunset. So Talk about your quiver. I mean, what do you? How many different boards do you travel with, and what are what's the length of those boards? Yeah, so it's a really tricky one traveling with stand up surfboards, just because they're you know my smallest stand up board is I think seven four or seven three, and my longest one oh, I've got like a I think I've got a ten footer for like really big boards. I think I've got it made up for Jaws. I try not to travel with that one if I can, but for contests, I basically. Like leading up to Barbados, I've been doing a bit of testing. I've got my Flash, which is 7.6, and I've got a prototype one that's 7.4 and sort of like a sort of a new version of the Flash. And then I've got another board that I've been working on with, with the Sonova guys, and it's called the Throttle, which is what I used at Sunset this year. And that's a, like a step up. It's not so much like a big wave gun, yep. but it's like a, a board that if the conditions are a bit wild or it's big steep takeoffs or it's, you know, really thick, meaty wave, I'll use that. So yeah, those basically. If I was to travel, I'd, it's really. Tough. I, I want to be able to take three boards, but just the logistics of three three stand up surfboards is getting yeah. really difficult. <laughs> yeah, so try to travel with two, but three is ideal, really, because I, I take that prototype seven four um, sort of. I call it my grovel flash, so it's like for smaller waves, and then I've got my flash, which is good for just like your, your stock standard. Contest waves, you know, three to four foot. Yep. Uh, and then there's my throttle, which I basically use if it gets up above that sort of five, six foot mark. So for Barbados, this, I guess, I'll be looking at the forecast. You know, for Sunset, it was pretty easy. I wasn't going to bring my, my, my groveling board because I didn't expect Sunset to be, you know, under three foot. But for Barbados, I guess I haven't really looked at the forecast a, a great deal and I haven't been there before. So I guess as it comes closer to the to the event, I'll have a look at what it's looking like and basically make a call. But I'm probably leaning yeah. towards, like if I was just to fly over there now with not knowing anything, I'd probably take my, probably the two boards on the outside and leave the one in the middle because there's a bit of, bit of crossover. There's a bit of crossover in between. So like I would take my step up and my sort of 
smaller wave board and that way I'm kind of covered unless it's that perfect three to four foot and that's what I'd love to use the flash. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. And then I guess I've been working on some boards with um, another board called the Placid, which is like a twin fin sort of board. And mm. I probably wouldn't compete on that unless unless I knew it was like maybe for New York, I would have taken the Grovel Flash and the and the, the Placid is what it's called. And, and that, that sort of twin fin style board because I guess you're expecting, I guess, a bit less power. Mm. And uh, yeah, you want a bit more, I guess slide and but yeah no, it's it's been really fun and i guess the more i look into it the more i realize that as specific as you can get a board to go to be there's a lot to be said about a board that can be that can work in everything and yeah. um not going to work the best in everything but to have a board that works in you know zero to six foot is ideal and then six foot and up is is sort of what you want so i'm working on that with marcus tardry right now um between marcus bert and myself we're all sort of working on those boards and We've got a couple of really cool ones coming. I won't elaborate too much on them because I think they're secret. But, um, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. So what kind of waves do you, do you prefer? I mean, being where you're from in Australia, I mean, you guys kind of have it all. But, I mean, are you are you more sort of uh, – do you lean more towards, like, long point breaks? Do you, like, sort of reef break, kind of A-frames? I mean, if you had to choose, what would you kind of go after? You know, it's always a hard question. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, pin it down. But, you know, obviously, everyone loves – for me, I love right-handers, and I love right-handers with a nice open face and, like, a little barreling section too. So, like, Sunset is, like, a dream come true for me because it's that right. big, big open face, so you can do, like, a nice carve, and then, you know, there's sections where it might throw up and you might get a bit of a tube. And that's kind of like my, you know, if I was to ride one wave for the rest of my life, that would probably be it. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, like, a perfect point break is fun too, and beach breaks on the day can be epic. I wave with a lot, with a bit more power. I always prefer because I'm uh, like 82 kilos, which I think is like 100 and 180 pounds. Yep. So like I'm not a small guy compared to the guys I'm surfing against. I'm probably a bit bigger. So I like a bit more juice. And, and I've, I've always been very sort of, I got big sort of flat feet. <laughs> like <laughs> big feet. So I've always been pretty heavy footed, like sure footed. So I, I'm not so good at like aerials, but like more like rail turns. So right. Waves with a bit more, I guess, a bit more face. Yep. Um, I guess for that, like a wave like sunset is, you know, really nice. Yeah, man, that's cool. So tied to all this too, you're also, and I'm not sure how you find time to do all this, man, you're so busy, but uh, you're coaching other athletes also. So how did you start that and what are you doing with that today? Yeah, so um, that kind of, I didn't really set out to do that, but it was just kind of a guy at home. There's, you know, there's Sydney Paddle Surf Club is now has about 160 members and I've competed in all their races and they've sort of, they sort of fostered me to become the, the, the sort of stand-up paddler I am now. Basically, one of the members asked if I'd help them out with a bit of training because I sort of wanted to, wanted to do a bit better at some of the races. And I was like, yeah, like I can let you know what I do. I don't have a coach or anything, but this is what I do. And it's like, it's working okay for me. I'm competing okay at the world stage. And he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I know you don't have any qualifications or anything, but yeah, just let me know what you're doing. So I just... Basically, this is three years ago, and I began sort of writing a few programs for him and just sort of one-on-ones, and I think it, it just began as one-on-one lessons. We just got to go out and paddle together, and I'd say, okay, try this, try that. You know, you're, not, you're bending your knees too much, or you're, you know, you're hinging too far, or whatever it was. From that, another guy asked, I heard you're helping out Bridgie. You know, would you be able to help out with me? I'm like, yeah, of course. And so it sort of just snowballed, and now I'm coaching the Sydney – they're all members of Sydney Paddle Surf Club. Now I'm coaching – I sort of write training programs for Sydney Paddle Surfing Club and do sort of private lessons as well as personalised sort of custom training programs for, you know, people mainly around Australia now. So i got, you know, i got a few people up along the east coast of Australia, got a couple of people over in Western Australia and a guy down in Victoria too. So it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's growing and, you know, just like a little, it, for me it's good because, you know, travelling a lot, it's hard to, you know, nail down a, like a, an income a lot of the time <laughs> right having being able to coach like training programs like you know speak to them and just sort of stuff i can do on the runs all i need is my laptop and i can send out a training program for them to go or if i know i'm going to be busy for a few weeks then i'll set it all up and get them set up and explain it to them and then i'll go off and, and do my races and i have to think about it so yeah it's kind of grown into something that i didn't really expect to be doing but yeah i, I really enjoy it and working with someone to improve, you know, their downwinding or their flat water or whatever it is, I find really rewarding. And going, 
and out in the water with them as well as just seeing their times come down or you know they're hit, hit, hitting their goals for their races yeah it's been really fun and yeah um, yeah it's, it's unexpectedly i've really enjoyed it i guess yeah. i didn't did not set out to do it but like yeah it's it's been fun that's cool that's super cool and then you're also coaching camps like you run one in the maldives i mean how did you set that up man because that sounds pretty insane <laughs> yeah, right, place, right time so um a friend of mine trent moon he he's sort of been you know a friend of mine sort of through sponsorship for a few years now and he, he owns a few shops or sort of partner in a few shops in australia sort of helped out with jp as well the, the brand jp before and then was helping out with sonova stuff too so it's sort of just he came to the Sonova dealer meeting three years ago and was like, oh, do you and Bert want to come to the Maldives trip? And I'm like, are you kidding? Of course I do. <laughs> um, and that sort of snowballed into, well, do you want to come next year? I'm like, uh, yeah, what's the catch? You know, and then I sort of realized, well, I can't be doing it. I can't just go to the Maldives every year in the middle of race season. So, you know, can we, can we make this a camp and, you know, I can get people in and coach them and, you know, get, get a little bit of income from it rather than just going and, you know, enjoying a, a holiday. And, and he's like, yeah, of course. Like, you know, I don't expect you to come. And, like, if you're coming three trips in a year, that's like a month. You can't live off nothing in a month. So he's like, yeah, well, let's try and work something out. So we, we figured out a sort of a deal. And um, But, yeah, last year I did – two years ago I did one trip. Last year I did two trips. And this year coming, 2020, I'm doing three trips. And I'd probably be doing more, but I think – um, I'd have to fly out of the country and then go back in to, to stay that long in the Maldives. <laughs> wow. Insane, man. That's, that's pretty sweet. And so what's the format you get like a crew of people and you're teaching them like downwinding and, uh, surfing on the SUP or what are you guys doing? I think because just being on a boat and, and traveling there, it's hard to get sort of downwind boards there. Yeah. I, I did take my two piece race board last year to train for Molokai, which was cause I knew I was going to be there for, I was there for June. So I wanted to get you know some sort of training in, and that's I left it over there with one of the local guys. So um, that was that was cool. But yeah, mainly surfing, and we basically go. We sort of have a bit of a briefing at the beginning. This is this is what I'm going to help out with, and any questions, let me know. Anything you want to work on, I'm I'm here to you know help everyone improve. So let's work on that. When we're out in the surf, I'll you know help people get catch waves and and then improve as well. And we got a you know someone on the boat that's going takes photos and videos, and we go through that sort of you know two or three times during the trip and you know i sometimes a bit mean i'll single someone out like this guy's is an example of what not to do and everyone's like oh I, you know from then on <laughs> no one else does that anymore like maybe their legs are too straight or their paddles on the wrong side and right. for the rest of the trip, everyone's like hey your paddles on the wrong side and they'll all switch over and they all they all learn to help each other in that sort of group environment they say you know you know don't do that remember what james said do this and it's all really friendly and it's you know none of it's so far it's been really good you know everyone's just been really supportive and everyone wants to improve and help everyone else improve. So it's like, I just sort of guide it and everyone sort of helps out, which is really nice. So it's, yeah, it's been really fun. And uh, last year, the, the two, the two groups I did, I think 90% of them re-signed on for next year of, yeah, for 2020. So oh, wow. pretty stoked that, you know, they obviously enjoyed their trip and got a bit out of it and, you know, coming back, coming back again, which is, is really nice to, to hear. And it'd be cool to catch up with them again next year. Yeah, that's cool. And one thing that I've noticed when I help other people just like, you know, learn to surf or dive, whatever it is, you kind of, it's a nice opportunity to kind of evaluate and take a look at your own, what you, what you do, your own stuff, you know? And I've noticed like when I'm like looking at somebody else trying to help them, I'm like, geez, how do I hold my shoulder or do whatever or how I breathe up to dive or whatever it is? And so how has coaching and training others kind of helped you reflect and potentially improve on your own just technique in the water? Yeah, massively. I've, I've, um, I analyze my own stuff as well now because I, like, I guess I don't have someone that's coaching me, but I'll, you know, when people ask, well, how come you can go this fast in this or how come, how did you make that turn when, when I have no chance of making that turn as well? Well, let's have a look at it. Let's slow-mo it. We'll go through it together and you look at our shoulders, hips, knees, and, you know, where I'm looking and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, okay, so the paddle's there and I'm bracing on the paddle. When my eyes, where, where my eyes look, my whole body follows. So doing this and it's okay, well, see how I did a bobble there and I, maybe I, I fell off or I, the nose caught a little bit so I should have had more pressure on my back foot or little things like that. You can, by breaking it down for them, you, you're actually learning yourself why yeah. it does not work. So yeah, it's, it's off for sure. By, by teaching others, you learn so much about yourself and, and I think that's where I sort of increase talking about like my downwind sort of skills 
I got into when I got into coaching others, sort of for all the sort of downwind and, and flat water stuff, that's when I really found I improved myself in, in all the, the downwind stuff, the more technical stuff, because you've got to break it down. Mm. When you do break it down, you understand what you're doing well and what you're doing wrong. Yeah, I think it for sure helps develop your own skills as well as understanding what works and you do more of that. So, yeah, it's for sure yeah, by breaking down if for others, you break it down for yourself as well. And it's uh, it's been really good. Yeah, sure. that's awesome, man. It's probably, I mean, it must contribute to your success you had this year at M2O and other, other places and just for the foiling and everything, you know, just have the opportunity to, to reflect on what you do. Because it's so easy just to keep doing the same thing over and over and over, you know, until you actually take a pause and take a, take a, a more objective, you know, look at it. But when you we started, um, you know, chatting earlier, you you mentioned your your father and he's a big influence in this year, and and he's had some health issues and he's working through that now. But one of the cool things you got on your website, KCOz.com. It's a great site. We'll talk about it in a moment. But there's a really cool blog, and you've got some neat articles and stuff. One of them is about your father, and I just want to touch on him because I'm so like I love the older generation who have raised us and, and inspired us in so many ways. And I think your dad's one of those guys, you know, and just reading that quick article, it's like, he's just, a, it sounds like a real legend of the water. I mean, a Kona Ironman finisher, SUPs, he's towed jaws, he shaped surfboards, all kinds of stuff. So, so kind of two questions in one to you, James. I mean, one is just share with how he has been such a big mentor to you, inspiring you as a Grom, you know, as a kid, just getting in the water to today and then move into a pretty gnarly story I think you guys got when you did uh, in 2014 a uh, Maui paddleboard race together that was pretty heavy duty. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess growing up, looking back at it, my dad always, I guess, threw my brother and I in the deep end when it came to the ocean. Basically, I remember my sister, older sister, tells a story that, you know, she was, you know, only two or three or something, and dad took her out in a boogie board and, you know, they got this massive wave on their head out North Narrabeen Point and it just like scared the hell out of her. I didn't really throw her off the ocean, but sort of it still sort of stays with her to this day. And looking back at it, Dad definitely took us out. Like I remember one of the first times I went to Hawaii on the North Shore was with my dad and I think I was like 12 or 13. And we and it was a big swell and we hired boards from um, wave riding vehicles and we only had one board big enough to, to surf this day and my dad went out <laughs> He got a couple of waves at Haleiwa and he got sort of two or three waves and he got one wave on the head and just, you know, just got held unafraid of his tombstone. And then he came in after the wave. He's like, what do you think, James? Do you want to go out? And I looked at my brother. My brother was like, no way. He was a bit younger than me. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll give it a go. The fact that I considered giving it a go, even though I'd seen my dad get flogged. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'd been in big surf, but nothing like Hawaii, like North Shore, big surf. There was no hesitation with my dad, but my dad, you know, he couldn't come out with me because we only had one board. And he's like, yeah, okay, give, give it a go. And so he, he let me go out, paddle out by myself and, you know, showed me this is the rip and this is where to go out, which I, you know, kind of knew. And I remember I paddled, I got out there and there was, it was a lull. And I was like, okay, I'll just sit out the back. And then a massive set came out. However, if, if you haven't surfed there before, there's a massive, I guess, current that takes you deeper, more the impact zone. And I was sitting with everyone and then a set came and I like everyone starts paddling and I've, I'm paddling as hard as I, I haven't caught a wave yet I'm paddling as hard as I can to get up and over this wave I've been out sitting out there for five ten minutes and it's yeah and paddling up and over I remember the first one I tried to duck dive and I almost got dragged back over the falls <laughs> the second one I went okay I'm not duck diving I'm going to paddle over this thing and I paddle over it and just like almost again got taken over the top on this bomb of the wave and then the, there was a third one and I remember paddling as hard as I could like, well, the last one I nearly got taken over, so I'm going to try duck diving, and I duck dive, and I just got under. And it was just like my heart was in my mouth. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I, made it. I thought I was going to be tombstone like my dad. So I'm like, okay, I've got to get a wave in now. And I sort of looked around, and there's sort of, you know, four or five other guys out, and they're sort of sitting there. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to catch one. I don't really want to catch one of those big ones. So I sort of snuck to the inside and a little bit wider. And I remember there was one, okay, I'm going to – I chose one like I'm gonna go this one I remember starting to paddle for it and I could see everyone else starting to paddle out and I'm like okay if I miss this one oh yeah I'm smashed so I managed to catch it and I got in all safe because oh. I got like a you know like a six footer and it was like a 10 foot day yeah but I was like so relieved that I got in but I think that whole experience is a testament to my dad sort of 
teaching us to surf and growing up in the ocean and you know reading the lineup and you know getting away with it even if you're a bit out of your comfort zone so and like he taught me to kite surf and windsurf and then stand up paddle and you know all that and I guess that was how he taught us and I guess mentored my brother and I always always taking us in the deep end and surfing outer reefs and I guess spots that most of my mates would never even think about surfing so yeah it was always in the deep end but yeah, the Maui Powerboard race in 20, yeah, 2014 or I can't even remember the date, but it was it was a big storm. And I think it was one of my first years over there doing the downwind scene, maybe the second year. And um, my dad hadn't paddled for a long time. Like probably, you know, since he'd done Molokai, he hadn't really regularly been on the paddleboard, but he'd come every now and then. He would never do a race because, you know, he's wasn't really interested in going in a race. He could just paddle by himself. And he's like, and then this, this day there was a massive um, hurricane that, passed fairly closely to, to, to Maui and the race was scheduled to go off at like 10 a.m. but because of the hurricane they had to reschedule. Um, Maliko Bay was like, it was just like floods and, you know, massive, you know, road closures everywhere but they managed to fix the bay up and get everyone ready to go for like a 2 p.m. start. The spell was huge. Like you're lucky to get out of the, the bay without getting a set on the head. <laughs> and I know a few of my mates who paddled prone that year, they actually got washed washed in over the reef. No at, way. Um, halfway along the run and they had to paddle on the inside reef for the rest of the rest of the race oh. yeah it was huge waves breaking everywhere it was just victory at sea and you know my dad so obviously he raced um because he loves that wild ocean sort of feel and he's like oh well, there's water safety and all this he's like i haven't paddled for a while but yeah this is this is the sort of ocean i love so he sort of went out there uh-huh. he just into big bombs you know and that was the day that, you know, you couldn't really go towing, you couldn't really go surfing. It was a bit wild. Well, the wind wasn't that good to go kiting. So I was like, well, this is a sport to be doing today and to have all the, you know, water safety there, why not give it a crack? So he went out and he finished all good and he said he got a couple of really nice ones off it, you know, out of Kanaha and, yeah, he loved it. Yeah, that just, I guess, epitomises my dad. He, he loves the wild stuff and hard for him at the moment, but I know he'll be back, you know, once he beats it and, yeah, looking forward to getting back out there with him. Oh, heck yeah, man. That's cool. It's cool to have like that guidance, you know, it's like, he, you know, he wouldn't throw you in the deep end if, if it was too deep for you, you know, but it was also to push you and then you've learned so much. And I, you know, just, you take, you take that with you today, you know, being the age you're at and just being able to push physically and mentally through a Molokai to Oahu or, you know, some other things, you know? And so, yeah, we're good vibes to your dad getting better for sure, you know? Um, and then just the family in general, you know, like I, we mentioned your website and you guys got some cool stuff there. I mean, talk about that for a moment. It's like, you got some, some products, you got your coaching there. I mean, it's a pretty neat, like sort of family business you guys got going. Yeah. So, so my mom, um, my mom and sister, they run Catfish Designs, which is, they do more triathlon and surf life saving sort of gear. Um, you know, just, just basically ocean wear. So like, whether it be swimwear, bikinis, you know, triathlon gear, you know, the, the shorts and the bike tops and all that sort of stuff. And, and I said, well, I'm doing all the ocean stuff. Are we going to do something? Are we, we going to do something for me? Like, oh, yeah, we can do that. And they sort of did it sort of half-assed for a little while. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's ramp it up a little bit. Let's rebrand it because I've got a bit of a name in stand-up and maybe we can sort of leverage off that and we can, you know, sell some of the stand-up specific gear. So just, you know, board, basically board shorts and paddle tops is what, is what we've worked on to start with. And um, they're like, yeah, of course we can, you know, what's your, what are you going to call your brand? And like, and a, and a friend of mine from Victoria, Harry Lee, he's like, oh, let's, let's do it properly. Let's, let's call it Casey Dot. It's the yeah. Casey Dot. And that, that was like, that was our logo. And that's, I think that's been around for like, we've done that for just coming up to a year. So it hasn't been long, but yeah, we basically apparel and then already had my coaching business. So I sort of rebranded that. And then I'm working on with working on some stuff with Sonova surfboards um, to, to do some, I guess, like custom, not custom boards, but boards that I ride. So I guess more high performance boards that can be used by that anyone, that anyone can buy basically. So we're working on like a long board and then like a, you know, a step up board um surfs up and you know boards that can be used you know competitions and sort of everyday stuff and then and then a bunch of foil boards too which is kind of just just the stuff i like to use and you know anyone who i'm coaching or you know i sort of say okay we'll try this because i designed this board for this this and this and it can be scaled up to your size so i think you'd really like it yeah it kind of made sense and still you know working out all the kinks but yeah it's been a lot of fun working on it and you know the coaching stuff sort of gone from strength to strength and the the surf, the the equipment stuff is, you know, we're still figuring out, but I think we're getting pretty close. 
the apparel, yeah, we're just going to keep working on that too. Yeah, that's sort of more my sister and my mum's sort of side of things. They're helping with that. As the seasons come, we sort of sit down and work on, okay, what are we going to do for summer? What are we going to do for winter? And yeah, it's been fun. Been super fun. Nice, man. That's a great story. You know, the, the whole family aspect of that. So neat, you know, good for you guys. So then James, I mean, what do you, we got a few more months here of 2019. It's been a pretty insane year for you in a lot of great ways, you know, and then also just, you know, mentally, you know, heavily, heavy, just with some personal stuff and your dad and everything and getting good vibes for him. But what, what about 2020, man? Any, any kind of big plans you could talk about you got uh, on the horizon there? Yeah, I was actually, I was just sitting down and, and doing a bit of a schedule the other day for 2020 and it's so hard to plan, you know, a, a year in advance or even six months in advance in, in I guess, the stand-up paddle world at the moment because events, you know, they come and go and they're... Right. They, so it's the, the main thing, I guess, for 2020 that I've got planned is a bunch of the Sonova um, Thailand foil camps. And so I'll be over there sort of coaching, doing that. Um, probably I'll probably be running at least four camps over there next year and then working on a few other locations with a few other people some in Indonesia if we can get that off the ground and then the Maldives trips as well Molokai is a lock I want to do that one again and then nice. you know, I guess looking to the next few months ahead I got the Red Bull Heavy Water Australian titles and then King of the Cut and the Doctor over in Western Australia at the Western Australian Downwind Week which is kind of like over there it's like the Molokai for like the Australian version of Molokai I guess it's it's only it's a bit shorter but it's you know, it's our big downwind race. We get good trade wins over there, and it's yeah, it's kind of the equivalent. So, King of the Cuts, kind of like the premier downwind race in Australia for stand up, and yeah, obviously planning to do that that one again this year, and I'll, I'll be planning to do that next year too. It's kind of same old, and and in a way, but I guess as of when I first started racing, I just wanted to do every race and sort of get my name out there and try and build myself up and get confidence. And now that I guess I've I've hit a few goals and I know that I'm at a level that I'm happy. I'm, I'm sort of more, I'm only going to races that mean a lot to myself. So, you know, yep. I don't want to leave my girlfriend at home all the time and, you know, I can't afford to go to races. I got to work and I'm home. Right. So it's, you know, there's a few more, bit more responsibilities at home. So I can't just up and leave. So I, I just pick a couple, couple events and, you know, especially events that, you know, maybe there's not enough, there's not much prize money. They're not sort of, they're not viable. It's, it's not worth going, traveling halfway across the world just for, for an event, it, it can be a little bit selfish, I guess, in the, in the stage of life I'm at now. Yeah. Whereas years ago, it was, well, I'm young and I'm traveling and it's fun. So trying to be a little bit more selective and obviously with dad, I don't want to be leaving him for too long either. I want to help out around the, around the house and, you know, help out my stepmom and all that too. Um, so it's, yeah, priorities have definitely changed a little, especially in the last probably, you know, nine to 12 months. I'm still loving what I'm doing and I want to be making the most of it. And yeah, the, the camps are really making sense to me. One, because I enjoy them and, and two, because I, one, it's a really good experience and, and I can get, you know, I can make a living out of it too. And the racing, basically I'm doing less flat water racing because the flat water racing for me at where I'm at now, yeah, I enjoy the challenge, but I don't really pinpoint one, one flat water races. That's the one I really want to win. Yeah. Whereas there's downwind races like Molokai and even, you know, Hood River and events like Red Bull Heavy Water. You know, they're like big events that you can, that to me, I get excited about. And right. if I get excited about it, I'm going to train hard for it. If I train hard for it, it's not going to be a waste of time for me to travel over there. So, yeah, that's, I guess, where I'm at at the moment. And, and with the surf events too, it's kind of, I want to keep doing the surf events because I want to be relevant in the surfing scene, but I'm not going to necessarily go to every single one unless i'm in that you know world title race i don't need to be doing it all the time but i still want to be out there and amongst it so yeah it's, it's a bit of a yeah. transition for me i guess yeah phasing out a little bit you know just sort of pinpointing the things i want to do and, and sticking to that for sure yeah yeah solid man and keeping that excitement is is key you know it's like we could you could do a hundred different things but th it's the things that you get excited about are the are the things that like you just kind of really make it for you, you know? So I, I like your approach, man. And that balance is key. So, you know, good for you. Yeah. Well, James, it's been fun, man. And I've been stoked to just hear all this, for, you know, and just, just been checking you out on Instagram, looking at your site and everything. And you're just doing some rad stuff. And again, appreciate you taking an, an hour out of your busy schedule to, to share with all of us. And uh, next time you're in California and in the San Francisco area or Santa Cruz, man, hit me up. We'll get a downwind, a foil, a surf, or uh Anything in between there, man. <laughs> yeah, all the above. Yeah, it could be sooner than you think. It might be this Friday. <laughs> Thanks so much for reaching out. 
been you know my pleasure to, to share my story and, and yeah thank you for you know, asking all the right questions and <laughs> being stoked it was, it's been fun yeah man 100 yeah thank you james appreciate it, man hey good luck with everything man and uh really appreciate it thanks again yeah thanks so much josh all right cheers all right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening uh, to another podcast episode. C- can't do it without you. And uh, so thrilled to have you here supporting uh, myself and the podcast and all the guests uh, continually. Always appreciate a positive um, rating on your, uh, your podcast app, whether it be you know Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. Just helps, helps grow the podcast and uh, spread awareness. So thanks for that. And then any uh, social media mentions, always super appreciative. And uh, if you know somebody who you think would be great to have on the podcast to share about their ocean life, please hit me up. I'd love to chat with them. Or if you think you'd like to, let me know. Uh, Email is josh at thisoceanlife.tv. All right. Thanks, guys.